following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box, Box Office, Office 30. 30 review of City Slickers. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy, Michael. How are you, sir? I'm well, and I am really excited to talk about this movie, finally, and doing our full-blown recall uh, of this thing, as well as I heard from a you know a little birdie that you even watched the second one and we're going to yep. talk about that a little bit too <laughs> um so i i will admit i watched about the first 30 minutes of the first one the second one and then i was like mm, nah i'm out <laughs> well was the uh, even with city slickers a multi-part watch for you because i noticed you started putting the notes together and then it seemed like they stopped and then started like again on a different day like yes so yeah. I, I, I was doing the notes i got almost the complete end and then I fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I had to like scrub through HBO Max to get to the exact moment that I where I fell asleep to pick up where I left off. And then I was like, well, I'm here. I'll put on the second one. And I started watching the second one. And I was like, ah, all right, I'm good. <laughs> so I guess we'll get an answer to this then. But that begs the question to the to the listeners, if this movie was so bad that you fell asleep or you just uh, it was like one of those days. <laughs> It was late at night that I watched it because my wife has been binge watching um, the Golden Girls, and wow. and the moment, throwback. yeah, then the moment she fell asleep, I was like, "Well, I'm wide awake. I'll put on City Slickers," <laughs> and I got almost to the, like they literally got to nearly the end, and then I fell asleep. I was like, "Oh, nice, good." Um, so I did a little research too, and I found out why. Bruno Kirby wasn't in the second one. I saw this too, but I'll let you uh, take this. So there's two stories here. The short story is that Bruno Kirby said in an interview that he is highly allergic to horses and had to get daily allergy injections on the set of the first one. And that's why he didn't do the second one. But then there's a second story that is backed up by multiple websites that apparently he and Billy Crystal had some sort of a disagreement on set of City Slickers. And though they were very good friends, Billy Crystal allegedly like sort of like blackballed him in the industry and essentially, you know, tanked his career because, he, you know, any producers that were somehow affiliated with Billy Crystal weren't either chose not to work with Bruno Kirby or 
we're told not to because of whatever happened with him and Billy. Yeah, I mean, I read very similar to what you saw. Um, and there's sort of different takes on it. I mean, I know that last week or last month, when it, last last episode, let's do it that way. You know, you were you were correcting me on like, you know, not even mentioning Bruno Kirby's name, which I realized after watching this was definitely a missed thing. You know, <laughs> like he was involved the whole way through. Um, so I'll blame IMDB for that, for not putting him in the uh, top ranked uh, group. But um you know, it's interesting, like one of the websites I was reading about this that started talking about him and Billy Crystal was sort of saying that he became like a big, like up and coming oh, yeah. kind of actor during that time. And I think I even mentioned to you that um, he had won like the Academy Award for like the supporting actor or something. No, in this movie. Uh, Jack Palance won the best supporting actor, but he was won- it Jack Palance. He, yeah. he won for like more sense. Like. <laughs> either a SAG award or something else. Like he won an award for this movie as well. Yeah. Well, uh, clearly it sounds like there was a, a big falling apart on the first one. So it, yeah, it does make sense why I guess then that he didn't end up showing up in the second uh, is probably a big detriment to the second for that. Yeah. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's a lot to unpack with this movie. It's you know, it's a comedy, but it's also, it's oddly, you know, real. It's got a heart. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. got a heart to it. I mean, I'm not going to call it a, like a drama at any point necessarily, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking a little bit about the the writing duo last time, <laughs> Lowell and Babalu, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that they've produced some similar movies to this, you know, like, I mean, one of the ones that pops right into my head is like a league of their own, which is another one of these movies where it could be very silly. It could be very funny, has some great lines, but it also has a heart, you know what I mean? And they have several other movies that they did like this. And, um, it shines through here, you know, and I, you know, <laughs> unlike, um, the last film we were doing, what about Bob, where I was, struggling to find a really good laugh for most of it. Mm. I was really laughing and enjoying this one, like right out the gate, out of the gate. And speaking of out of the gate, the movie opens with our three main characters, uh, Mitch, uh, Phil, and uh, I forget what Bruno Kirby's name, Ed, Ed, Eddie. Yeah. They're doing the running of the bulls. (laughs) And Billy Crystal's character gets, horned right in the rear end (laughs) yeah (laughs) which by the way must have if in like movie logic made the rest of that horse riding throughout the rest of the movie fairly uncomfortable (laughs) well it's a year later so you have to assume that his oh that's right yeah but had healed by then so (laughs) yeah 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 um what the airplane ride wasn't good back though (laughs) that's for sure you know and it's it's one of those funny like things about this movie is they really sort of like lean into these like city guys, New York guys, like all throughout Billy Crystal's, you know, rocking a Mets hat. You know, they're, they're really showcasing, you know, that whole 
genre or that whole shtick of being these city folks, New York City guys. Um, well, it's funny too because you know, like anybody that knows Billy Crystal knows he's a huge Yankees fan. So it cracked me right. up to see him wearing which I, I, the Mets gear in the beginning of this. So there's a fact about that. There's a fun fact about that. Which oh, I is don't that know. I don't know this. What is that? The the Yankees were approached by him um, for a few things. He wanted to try and do some. Um, like uh, charity stuff, like at Yankees field, things like that. And they kind of turned him down on that, which I was surprised by. And then um, they actually filmed one of the first scenes they filmed was the running of the Bulls scene in this. And they wanted him to be wearing a Yankees hat and the Yankees wanted to charge them um, a licensing fee to wear the Yankees gear. The Mets didn't, they waived a $40,000 fee for him to be able to just wear the hat. So Mets it is. Wow. <laughs> Even though later on in the movie, he tells a story about Mickey Mantle. Um, the Yankees and Mickey Mantle, which um, fun fact again, is a true life story of something that happened to Billy Crystal. That's like one of his favorite actual um, memories. So um, I thought it was funny because I was like, Mets, like, you know, <laughs> like I know you and I have this divide that you're a, a Mets guy and I, by proxy of my family, I'm a Yankees person. And, um, but it, it was funny because I was like, I thought he was a really big Yankees person. <laughs> I, I've always leaned, you know, Mets, Islanders. You've always leaned, you know, Yankees, Rangers. So yep. it, was, it is what it is. We, 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 <laughs> we make this marriage work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, so essentially this movie starts with a cold open of this running of the bulls. And then it goes into this sort of like animated you know, title sequence and they carry this animated sequence into the sequel as well. Um, yes. It's fun. It's silly. It's kind of slapstick, but also it felt a little bit long. Yeah. I mean, it's funny um, for something like that. Yeah. It's like a fun opening sequence. But stuff like that starts to drag, but it's almost like a holdover. I feel like in, in some ways of some of those old Western movies that were front loaded with the credits and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I, it was fun. Like the, the art style was kind of unique and different, but as you say, it did start kind of taking its time after a bit where I was like, all right, let's, let's get back to the program here. <laughs> yeah. The, one of my the funniest moments right out of the beginning, even other than Billy Crystal getting speared by a bull, is when Phil is taking the picture from behind <laughs> him, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "It's a Kodak moment." And yeah, I was it laughing. That was such a popular line and saying back then. Like everyone had a throwaway Polaroid or Kodak camera, and. You just you'd be like, oh come on, we're gonna get a Kodak moment here. It was just, was, oh my god, it made me laugh. And it's funny though because it's not something that he kept up through the rest of the movie. Then, yeah, you know what I mean, like he was like taking so many photos in that trip, and then like you know the dude ranch portion of the movie, he he seems to have lost that uh, whole yeah. thing. Yeah, that trope in the beginning was was big, and then all of a sudden it kind of like vanished. And I thought it was a little odd. I wonder if they just edited it out, or you know. So what do you think with that running of the bulls sequence? Do you think it was actually them running along a lot of that time? Do you think they had stunt doubles? Because like there's a few scenes and I actually thought about this in a lot of cases throughout this movie um, where they're doing different horse um, riding or, um, you know, like at the end when he's like running along with with um, Norman, um, you know, like 
it's funny. It seemed like at least Billy Crystal, if not some of the others, were like actually kind of there and present and, and doing a lot of that sort of stuff. I mean, it really, to me, felt like a lot of it was them. I mean, do I think that they were literally running with the bulls? I don't know. Maybe they were running with the crew. I mean, like, there's like one shot in particular and, and like it's it's definitely Billy Crystal and he's running ahead and there's like definitely bulls behind him. But like, I wouldn't even call them running at that point more so as like quickly following him yes. you know what i mean sort of thing so like i'm sure that they probably were doing that with more tamed mm-hmm. um movie bulls as it were yeah. or something like that but um i was curious about that because it, you know it's it's one of these movies that is going to require a lot of lifting in the horse riding department and yeah. i know that he had to have at least been doing some of it because the horse that um ultimately billy crystal was riding in this movie um, was bought for him by production at the end of the movie and became his horse. Oh, really? And actually, it's the same horse that they ended up using in the, in the second sequel? film, too. Wow. Yeah. Um, so he must have been riding it at times, at least, you know, if not, like, doing some of the other sort of big stunt stuff. Yeah, I mean, and especially, like, you know, as we get later to the movie, like, in the river, like, they're in that river, like, whatever that is, you know, that was pretty amazing. I think, they, you know, there may have been some scenes that were probably stunt doubles, but they may have done a lot of their own stuff, in particular. Yeah, him. I mean, like, the one I have in mind is when he's like, I want to ride with the Mustang. Mm-hmm. Was, was that this one, or was that the sequel That's the movie? sequel. Okay, well, I'll jump ahead to the sequel then, because I'm not going to discuss this too deeply in, in that when we get to it. But, like, there's a scene where he's chasing a wild uh, Mustang or stallion or something um, on his horse. And he's like riding in like a river, like mm-hmm. the water splashing up. And I'm like, I don't think they faked that, you know? <laughs> and I was just like, it's pretty impressive, but um, yeah. So I don't know. I just want to point that out. I thought it was kind of interesting. I wasn't able to find online one way or another, if they were like really committing to doing a bunch of the stunts or, or not in this. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I didn't look into it th- that deeply. You know, but I, I was I was more fascinated about the Bruno Kirby Billy Crystal dichotomy that was going on. You know, they're they're back and forth. But um, one of the things that I really found great about this movie is the chemistry between all of the actors, but in particular the three leads. Without even before you got to Jack Palance, just the three of them just felt like guys that you could say. Yes, these guys have been friends for 30 years. I see this. I feel that. I get that. And I really loved how each one of them kind of worked off of each other. Yeah, and I got to give particular props to Daniel Stern because, um, you know, everybody loves him as Marv and things like that. But he did really well with this movie. I really enjoyed him in it. And um, it was almost a very different movie because I noticed in, in looking it up, that it was almost Rick Moranis who who played this role. He was fully cast for for that role. Wow! Um, and he had to back out at the last minute because um, I believe his wife came down um, with cancer mm. and then I think died a year later. Um, so he had to back out of the film sort of at the last minute. So for a last minute ad for Daniel Stern, I think he did a really exceptional job in this. You know, yeah. a lot of fun with that character. And I actually think it works better with Daniel Stern because he's so tall and lanky where Rick Moranis is, is more <laughs> on the same height as the other two actors and having this tall goofy looking guy works really well as a balance between the three of them which I really liked Definitely. Uh, so <laughs> there's a really funny line I think they're on the airplane yeah and uh, 
Billy Crystal's talking to uh, Bruno Kirby and he's like, soon you'll be dating sperm because I guess he likes to date younger women and it's just like ongoing trope about like this guy like he's a kind of a womanizer he's you know he likes younger girls and you know he's just it's just really really funny in that line when he said that I died laughing it really cracked me up and just well, and to you know, like to the character point too with his character. I mean, it's like he's the one that's kind of pushing them always to do these like big adventures, mm-hmm. and it's like I, I forget if it's this scene or like slightly thereafter that he's like, oh, the next thing we should do is like jumping from an airplane and like all this sort yeah, of thing. Same scene, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, it's just interesting because they start doing a good job of building up these characters and their arcs and what they ultimately sort of end the film like, and so you know, I, I think his character in particular, and it's sad to say like that he didn't make it into the second film. I think he has, you know, I think Billy Crystal's arc is good in this, but I think Bruno Kirby probably changes maybe the most of all the characters in in the film, you know, beginning to end and sort of what he finds important, you know, and things Mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, it is at at the expense of his jokes or things like that in the beginning, but yeah, no, really um, kind of fun character arc with each of them and his, especially his character. Yeah. And then we sort of, Fast forward in time once we get home from this running of the bulls thing to a year later to uh, a phone call from Billy Crystal's. I'm sorry, a phone call from Mitch's mom wishing him a happy birthday at like the crack of dawn. And his mom's like, you know, talking about, you know, the delivery and the whole thing. And what I thought was interesting about this movie is like they, they say that his he's born in like September, like September 8th and the movie comes out in June. I just thought that was like a weird thing. Like that. I guess it doesn't really matter. But to me, I was like, if, if the movie's coming out in June, why not make his birthday in June? <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird thing. Yeah, no, I don't think that matters. <laughs> no, it annoyed me. Like, um, but uh, another fun fact, Billy Crystal's mom actually does that to him. That's where he added that into the film. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> it's so, it feels so organic. Like, it just seems like a real genuine thing, which that uh, that makes it even funnier that it was actual mom really did that. And he threw that into the It's movie. really funny, too, because, you know, the, and again, I'll I'll talk a little bit. I, at the end, I'm going to talk a little bit about the sequel. I'm not going to go into the, the full review. Um, on it but the first like 10 minutes of the movie is almost like a mirror of the first movie they do all this exact sort of same stuff over again like where it's like you know he's uh gets the call from the mom and it's telling the same old story except now this year he's 40 instead of 39 and you know all this Mm -hmm. sort of thing um which i thought was an interesting choice you know what i mean i'm happy that the movie eventually went a different direction but like i was feeling a little weird about the second movie as it started where it was kind of just doing the exact sort of same thing over again you know but the one plus side to it is i did get a kick out of his dad popping on and being like hey dad how are you and it's like fine i've got you know whatever this health problem is i forget what they, what they were in both movies but it so cracked me up because i feel like that's exactly like what happens when, <laughs> when i go and talk with my dad it'll be like you know you go like visit the parents like how's it going mom you know oh good this, this has been happening this has been happening it's like dad how you doing oh, i'm good i've got a sty in my eye or something you know <laughs> you know something like thing like that it's like that's very funny that one struck a little close to home <laughs> that's really funny it's true and I don't know if you noticed this in the, when the mom calls in the second one, 
the his wife actually says, "Oh, hi, mom," or whatever, and she goes, "Oh, you're there too." She <laughs> she doesn't say that in the first movie, but she says something similar, like, "Oh, your wife is there," like you know, I'm the only woman in your life kind of situation. It was really funny. That made me laugh. Um, so one of the things after he gets off the phone, he's talking about how he's you know getting hair on his ears and he's losing hair where he needs it. And he's getting hair where he doesn't, where he can't see it. And I'm like, that's where I got that line. And I've been saying that forever. <laughs> I've been saying that line forever. I'm like, it falls off my head. It lands on my back and it stays. Nice. <laughs> Great. Um, so what, what I also found really interesting about this movie is it paints a real picture of what it felt like to commute. Like he's in like this, this trolley going across the 59th street bridge, essentially, or, you know, going into the city and just like he's squished against everybody. And you're just like, yeah, this feels about right. (laughs) I was trying to remember if they said where he was living in the first film, because in the second one, they've they're at least if I don't know if they've moved or whatever, but they're all in new Rochelle at that point. Yeah. They move, Um, they move out of the city in the second one, but in the first one, it feels like they may have lived in Brooklyn Based or Queens, based on the, the the trolley alone, but I don't know. Was he coming over? I think he was coming over on the um, what's that island? Randall's Island, um, suspension thing. Suspension, yeah, trolley. Like you see that in um, you know the uh, uh, Toby Maguire Spider Man, yeah, um, the first movie. Um, and it's so funny because actually Angie and I were sitting watching the movie and we saw that, and I can't remember if they were on it or not, or I. It was just B-roll, or I guess you're saying they were on it. Um, and we, for years, because we lived in New York City for 15, 17 years, um, oh, we're always threatening to to get on that trolley and like take the ride over to the island and all this sort of thing. We never did it. Mm. <laughs> so like one of my trips back to the city at some point, I have to do that now because I've, I've always wanted to go on that. <laughs> I've never been on it, and I don't want to go on it. That thing scares the <laughs> life out of me. And, and just the way they show him so crammed into that thing i'm like yeah you're not getting me on that sucker no (laughs) way um so we find out that his job is he he buys like radio ad time on on a radio station like you know companies whatever will will buy time and he'll put the commercials on and he's you know he's sort of like um in sort of a, a humdrum sort of career. He's not happy with what he does. And even his boss, who I think is played by Jeffrey Tamborn, right? Yes. A super young Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah. And almost like, unrecognizably young. <laughs> and a really small part of the movie. Like he's he's there for maybe two scenes and that's it. Yeah. And you know, you, you get this this vibe like he just doesn't like his job. He's kind of phoned it in. He's you know, he's given up. He's just sort of like, this is it. And he has to leave early to go to his son's school for career day. And we get to the school and he's, you know, the person before him is like this, you know, real like Italian construction worker. He's <laughs> cursing up a storm. He's suing this. He's saying that. And 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 Billy Chris is like, I don't know. He's like, how do I follow up with this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just I love the looks on the teacher's face all through that scene too like she's like horrified that this guy is spitting out some of the stuff he is. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, 
So they get up. The kids are all like laughing at it. It That was very funny. They think it's hilarious. They think it's brilliant and so funny. And then he gets up and he's like, yeah, so I don't really do this. Like his son even lies about what his career is. Like, I think he's like a, a, you know, I forget what he says, but then he's like, no, I work in radio and I buy this. And people are like, oh, this is boring. And then I had this moment of realization. I realized his son is a very young Jake Gyllenhaal. In his first movie, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and noticeably, he's not in the second movie that I saw. Yeah, no, I think really only the wife appears. No, the daughter um, appears too. And so what I also noticed about in the second movie, there's a photograph in Billy Crystal's office, and it's just him and the daughter, and they have like a second photograph like blocking what would have been a third like a second ki- kid, <laughs> and it's like they probably couldn't get him back for this movie, so they had to basically like, yeah, he's he's there. We just don't ever see him. <laughs> it's like um, Judy from Family Matters. Yeah. <laughs> Mike and I are, are big fans of uh, Reginald Val Johnson, but uh, for anybody that way back in the day that used to watch uh, Family Matters, first season, I think there was like a daughter named like Judy, I think was her name. Yeah, and then like either end of first season or second season, she just like just doesn't exist anymore nobody ever mentions her again yeah. it's just like like we've entered like a parallel universe version of family <laughs> matters it's true and, and it's just like the, the character just vanishes but yeah. you know one of the things that i was asking myself repeatedly in this movie is how much of this that they're saying the dialogue feels so organic it feels so natural how much of it was improvised and how much was it actually scripted that they're just kind of like reading the script. They're just riffing. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I get the impression that like a Bill Murray, Billy Crystal comes into this thing with free reign to basically say and do whatever he wants to in a scene Mm -hmm. in particular, because he's like the king of like rattling off a lot of like fast witty stuff that, you know, I'm sure they're just like pointing him into a direction and saying, go, (laughs) Um, I get the impression that probably the other actors are are a little bit more on track mm-hmm. um, with what they were, you know, given and, and supposed to do. Um, but maybe I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, when you have like a Billy Crystal or somebody like that, I I think they'd kind of give them sort of free reign to kind of try a bunch of things. I'm sure they do multiple takes, and he sort of just you know generates content. Yeah, and then they you know pull the best of that and then put it into the final cut. Yeah, to the point that actually I I made a note that in the second film, um, it goes from just Lowell and Babalu to Billy Lowell and Babalu are the three oh. um, official writers of the movie. So. Uh, how much of that is is also being quasi written by Billy <laughs> doing his thing and going along, or or, um, or, or, or being executive producer and one yes. writing credit on it as well? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so they have this um, this like birthday party for Billy Crystal for his thirty ninth birthday, and they're in the apartment, and you know, like his friends are there. And his son, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, is doing this like shoulder pop thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I did that too. Again, must have stolen it from this movie. <laughs> it's like, I used to do it all the time. Um, it, you know, it it's funny because it really felt to me very accurate or real to what it's like, you know, at home with a family, you know, at age 39, like a young family, and you know, the whole thing it just felt really 
like true. And I, I love that because I really bought into the characters as opposed to a movie like What About Bob, where I couldn't <laughs> buy into any of the characters. I was fully invested in everybody in this movie from the within the first 10 minutes of the movie. I was like all on board with every character and believe their story, believe their arc and just felt like I I knew them. And that was really, really cool. Yeah. And I know that you wanted to in particular do this movie for the, the reasons you've mentioned before that like you're 39 and he's 39 and like, you know, like here we are. And it is funny timing, um, you know, given that, you know, we're doing this 30 year old box office podcast and like, it's funny to take the nine year old you who might've seen this movie and now put you in the shoes of the 39 year old where he's at, at this point, you know, in, in his life and things like that. Uh, all of that to say, like, how badly do you want to go on a dude ranch adventure? A hundred percent. I'm all in. <laughs> you say when I'm going, we're going. That's okay. It. All right. We'll see if we can get that together <laughs> for our 40th. Oh God. Yes. So we're having this party, right? My, my midlife crisis is a new house and a new car. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll look into the, uh, into the cattle drive though. <laughs> we, we could, we could, I'd never been to Vegas. We could start it in Vegas and like yep. ride from, so, you know, into the sunset. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the ultimate, um, end for this, um, podcast and, and for us is probably just to do the, uh, uh, what you call them. <laughs> Why am I thinking of their two names? Uh, where they drive off the cliff. Um, Tom Louise. Tom and Louise. Thank you. Yes, we need to. We need to like go to Vegas, then like get a, a little Cadillac and like head to the Grand Canyon and do, do a flying leap. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> that will be our our storied adventure together as our yes <laughs> all these years. So we're at this. Maybe maybe when we're older. Maybe when we're like eighty nine. That'll be, if we're both if we're both hanging in there. Yeah. And we're in like box office thirty where we're reviewing movies that came out and like. Uh, what would that be? I don't know. 2025, 2050 something. Oh, man. Um, we'll, 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 we'll finish the whole thing up by doing could a Thelma and Louise. Res- could you imagine that? So, in, <laughs> you know, wow, that's a long way away. You know, oof, I can't even, so 90 would be 2072. So it would be like 2042's movies would be reviewing. Yeah. <laughs> if people are still listening that long and we can actually are coherent and talk. Oh, yeah. man boy we'd be famous but so they'll be like podcasts those things from 60 years ago they don't do those anymore (laughs) they just beam the data right into your brain exactly (laughs) so we're at this birthday party for phil and not phil i'm sorry we're at this birthday party for mitch and we meet phil's wife who we've heard talk about a little bit in the movie that she's horrible. Then we fully realize her (laughs) and she is as much of a monster as you can possibly get. They, they, they even shoot her and light her that she just looks mean. She looks like a Russian drill sergeant or something. I mean like, yeah, she's like, she's intense. Yeah. And it is funny because you get this little bit of backstory that like, what is he like the manager or the like assistant manager yeah. for like her father's grocery, grocery store? store yeah. You know? Like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. And, and, and the father-in-law gives him the worst schedules. Like he has to open the register. He has to close the store. Like he gets all the worst schedules. He's treated like a piece of garbage and you know, but it's daddy's store and you got to take care of it. And yada, yada, yada. Daddy gave you a job. And then all of a sudden 
this girl comes knocking on the door and reveals that she's missed her period and she's you know she's she goes i'm late and you're like you know as a kid i'm like i don't know what late means <laughs> now as an adult i'm like oh i know what late means and you know we find out that he's been having an affair with this uh 20 year old cashier that works in the grocery store and you know ultimately she's not pregnant we find out but um Phil's wife now, you know, says she's going to file for divorce and he's going to lose his kids and yada, yada, yada. And he's, you know, really everything is lost now. Everything in his life is over. He's, you know, this is the end for him. And literally moments before uh, Eddie comes over to Mitch and shows him this, you know, cattle drive brochure. And he's like, I've already booked it. It's two weeks. It's during your vacation. We're going to go. Yada, yada, yada. This is it. The three of us, we're going to ride cattle. The real deal. And, and, and Billy Crystal actually, like his character, seems finally on board with this idea, like as opposed to the skydiving or the, the running of the bulls or whatever. And then he goes, oh, I can't go because we're going to see my in-laws in Florida. And, the, and then his wife was like, no. You go. <laughs> You're miserable. You go. <laughs> we don't need you. Yeah, well, they have this whole thing, and I forget if they say it here or if they say it previous to this, where there's like this whole thing between him and his wife that he's like lost his smile. It's he right around here. It's, it's right after the party. They're talking about this trip, and he basically says, I feel lost, and he doesn't know, you know, who he is anymore or what he wants, and she and she's like, Go find your smile. Go on this adventure with your friends. We'll be fine in Florida. You don't even like my parents. <laughs> Just go and enjoy yourself. And um, it's interesting. And, you know, we literally jump from this moment to the Ori at the Dude Ranch. And we have this fun little montage of them trying to figure out what hats work best for them, what their cowboy clothes. And of course, obviously, Billy Crystal settles on the Mets hat again, <laughs> which is really funny. Well, the other thing that so cracked me up, too, is like they also meet the other people that are going to be with them on the cattle drive with them. And, you know, by and large, there's a few characters that are just like, OK, those are those are fine characters. But the the thing that so cracked me up, and I'm so curious where this came from, whose thought it was to do this, was to essentially stick Ben and Jerry, the ice cream people, mm-hmm. in this movie as like Ira and Barry Shalowitz. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, what a weird this, thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I learned about Ben and Jerry from my cousins, maybe around this age. Um, like maybe when I was just around like nine ish, 10 ish years old, uh, previous to that, I, I just didn't know who that they were. Didn't for whatever reason, know that ice cream flavor. I no. guess we were like a Turkey Hill. Yeah. Family. We were, we, we were Baskin. Yeah. We, Robin, I don't know. Something different. We, we, Carvel. We were tur- to go up to Carvel in Southampton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were Turkey yeah. Hill from the, from the grocery store or Carvel. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Fudgy the whale and all yeah. those good stuff, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, it was such a random include because, you know, those two characters could have been anybody, but they basically just did like a knockoff version of Ben and Jerry. And I was like, where did that come from? Because like, <laughs> 
you know, even lo- in looking around afterwards, I don't really see anything like where it's like, oh, you know, like Billy Crystal's like best friends with Ben and Jerry or something, you know, like it just seemed like such a random inclusion. And, and I don't know. Yeah, it just it just cracked me up. And what so cracked me up, too, is I think it was Barry Shalowitz of the pair of those uh, was that guy. And I can't think of his name in real life. That was in like um uh, Billy Madison, like as like the principal, like the, oh, the, yeah. wrestling, yes, principal. the wrestling principal. Yeah. And I was just like, oh man, like what? A- I love that guy. From that. <laughs> you know? So it was such a funny thing to see him sort of pop up there. Yeah, it was that that they're so funny. So you have you know this knockoff Ben and Jerry. Was it like Captain Insano or something like yes, that? That was that was his. <laughs> yes. And then we have um, a father and son duo of dentists. And that's right. Yes, they're really good. And then we get somebody who is way too big for the role that they gave her. Helen Slater shows up and basically she's supposed to be with another girlfriend who the girlfriend kind of bailed on her at the last minute. So she comes to this thing by herself. And I'm like, you cast such a great actor, you know, who really would be a great thing in this movie. And she's got such a small, meaningless part in this whole movie, unfortunately. Uh, Yes, I kind of agree with you. I mean, you know, when you have three main characters already, I think it's hard to start stuffing too much into the other people. You know, she plays a particular role in this thing, which, you know, quasi starts off as like a a bit of a damsel in distress, which, you know, introduces us to Curly and, and, you know, how Mitch is going to react to sort of those things. Um, that said, I'm happy they had any female extra added into this portion of it because it kind of did a little something to balance out the rest of the group. As you say, though, I do wish she had a little bit more to do. I feel like that, unfortunately, is something we find ourselves repeating episode after episode about some of the female leads in a lot of these movies, uh, which is probably to say that unfortunately again that a lot of them just weren't progressive enough to be doing something interesting with them at that point in time um but as you say yeah you know it's funny i was looking at her at first and i was like i know her where do i know her from and i'm like oh that's super girl <laughs> you know like it took me a minute but i was like i was like yeah yeah i know her <laughs> it's funny and um there's this funny sequence where they're like learning how to horseback ride and the three guys are like sitting next to other with like ice packs on the, on their crotches and, they go, yeah. and they're like icing down their balls. <laughs> like funny. <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh so loud. Um, and then, as you said, you know, so uh, Helen Slater's character is, you know, getting harassed by these two, you know, dirt bag. Hired hands. Yeah, yeah. Like dirt bag cowboys. And Billy Crystal tries to like break it up and help her. And all of a sudden we get the reveal of Curly. And he throws a knife, like like a Bowie knife, right between one of the guy's legs, and and then like they have this little back and forth with him, him and Billy Crystal, and then Curly goes, "I crap bigger than you," and I was like, <laughs> "I still say that to this day." <laughs> yeah, I mean, Curly has some fabulous one-liners in this, yeah. um, and Jack Palance was so awesome. And amazing in this. And it's uh, it's funny. He was somebody, too, that um, Billy Crystal 
like had immediately in mind um, for this character um, when um, Billy Crystal was younger. Um, one of the, I think it was either the first movie he ever saw or one of the first movies he ever saw um, that uh, he was in the film. Uh, and I'm going to get the name of it for you here. Um, I have it. Uh, Shane, 1953 Shane, um, where Pellance played the bad guy. Um, and it just put like this really big lasting impression on, on Billy Crystal. And, you know, from there, he's just like, I got to have him in this movie. And at first he wasn't going to be in it. They were actually um, casting Charles Bronson um, and Charles Bronson backed out because he was upset um, about the quasi early untimely demise of the character <laughs> that he wanted to be in the whole movie, not essentially die so early, like page 63 or something like that. Um, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, and in the end, Billy Crystal got Jack Palance. So I, I, I like Charles Bronson, but I could not have seen this character being played in quite the same way. No, no. without Jack Palance in that role. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Shane because, um, Originally, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Shane and didn't win it, but yet he wins a Best Supporting Actor for yeah, this movie. Yeah, interesting. It's a funny connection. So, but that was very interesting. Now, I wrote a note here, and I don't know what the hell this means. It says, <laughs> you feel like a schmuck? Yeah, a big schmuck. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the lines um, between... Um, like Billy Crystal's, I think, talking to himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which he does several times throughout throughout the movie, sort of berating himself and things like that. But yeah, that's where that one came in. <laughs> and, you know, there's just a lot of funny moments. Like, you know, there's a horse walking backwards at one point. I don't know. There's just like really cute things at the ranch that really felt fun. And just the conversations between these three friends just again, they just felt real and honest and they're just talking about life and, you know, they're taking it seriously. They're talking about like real stuff with, you know, a, a hint of humor throughout. And then, you know, we're out on the the range or whatever, the open, open, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, they're transporting all these cattle from one location they have in New Mexico to another location they have in Colorado. Yeah. So they get out into the wilds in between those. And so, you know, we're moving the cattle and, you know, some of the cattle go stray. They got to go bring them back. And there's just like this funny little back and forth conversations. And every every actor, even, you know, the Ben and Jerry guys, the, the dentist guys, they're all kind of just like having fun talking to each other about various things that are relatable to life. And I found that really funny. And then we get to a moment where they're like setting up base camp and um, Billy Crystal comes out with like a, a, a battery operated <laughs> coffee grinder. He's like, you know, we may be out here, but, you know, we don't need to live like animals. And he presses the button for the, the grinding of coffee beans and the noise is so loud and piercing. It spooks the cattle and then all the cattle run off and they yeah, also it's fun. it's a great gag especially when you take into consideration like the city slickers end of the whole yeah. thing which you know they play up several times throughout the movie that like you know they always get these guys come out from the city and they're going to make them men by the end of the thing and all this but <laughs> it is so so goofy it's like a mr coffee or something like yeah. that you know and it's like 
why wouldn't they already have like ground coffee? <laughs> it's just like, it's such a great silly little like ad, you know, but like, yeah, it just like completely spooks all the cattle and they, it like creates like a stampede. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it destroys their entire camp, all their stuff, all the tents, everything. And there's a moment even when, Billy is in a tree holding on to the coffee maker as the bulls are the cattle are all running by. It's just so funny. And, and I just love like Curly's like up on like a like a bluff overhead, just like staring at them, like shaking his head the whole time. And then, and then all he has to do is pull his gun out and fire it in the air and all the cattle stop. Yes. <laughs> but there's still a whole bunch that get away. So now, as punishment for for Mitch's uh mishap. Curly forces him to come with him to go round up the remaining cattle. And they go off for a night or so to go find the rest of these cattle. And that's when you start to see the relationship between Mitch and Curly kind of unfold. And and it happens in the funniest of ways. Mitch is playing a harmonica and Curly wants him to stop, but as like a you know, rebellious teen almost. He's like, I'm not, he just keeps playing and playing. And then Curly starts singing <laughs> yeah. this song. Tumble and, and Tumbleweed. Yes. For big Lebowski fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like this really nice moment because you can see Mitch's eyes are like terrified. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's great because they have this whole conversation and. You know, he's sharpening his, his big old knife and everything. And, you know, like Billy Crystal sort of starts sort of digging on him. Like, you know, like, I know you're trying to scare me, but, you know, you, this is ridiculous. And you don't need to. And they're going back and forth and all of this. And then, like, as you say, they kind of he's like, stop playing that and whatever. And then he still gets like the leg up on him because then he like basically like comes like right up next to him. And he's like singing that song. And it is so great because like every time Billy Crystal thinks he's done playing, he starts like a new refrain of the song. See, <laughs> it's like his eyes are so great. It's such an uncomfortable, like weird thing. But it's yeah. I mean, moments like that were just so great in this. And it yeah, it's so funny. And then we get to the point where we find a uh, a sick cat, a sick horse, a sick horse, a sick cow who is in labor. And we have this interesting moment right before we get into the actual part of what happens Mitch makes another like joke at Curly's expense and he sort of calls him out on it he's like why do you constantly make jokes at my expense and he goes I don't know maybe I'm because I'm frightened of you it's my way of kind of managing it and they have this moment where basically it was like Curly's like you're without saying it's like you kind of hurting my feelings a little bit and Mitch realizes that he's not being very nice he didn't give him a chance to even get to know him and so he sort of apologizes and then he's like, okay, now you got to pull out this calf from this, this, uh, this cow. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> and so he reaches in. Well, it seems like the rules are reversed because it seems like Billy Crystal could hold the cow and like he could do all the other portion of it, but it, it ends up flipped of course, for multitude of reasons, but he actually had some like logic about like, how he had to like hold the cow a particular way yeah. or something it's like, like that, you, you know it, if if this cow bucks you couldn't hold her and you know it'll kill yeah. you, kill you or whatever and um and so um 
he reaches in. He's just trying to pull up the calf. He he's like they find the cow is backwards, whatever. And they got to get it out. They pull the calf out, and then he realizes he lost his watch inside the cow. <laughs> how it came unbuckled, I don't know, but it's a it's a buckled clasp watch. I'm like, how did he lose it in there? Whatever. But then you know, uh, he goes, "Look what I made! A cow!" <laughs> it's so funny and norman is so stinking cute in this like really really sweet um and again for those fun fact people out there norman was not born on set um he was a few days old when you see him here and the mother cow is a um prop cow Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but they covered norman in in quasi realistic jelly and things like that to to make the, the whole thing work but oh my god what a sweet little cow oh it's so cute and actually that cow despite being in the rest of the movie and doing acting goes on to become like a famous acting cow like really? actually yeah actually like has roles in several other films and things like that and like the grown one that we see in the second film is the same one and everything like really? that. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. There's a, there's a moment that I, I missed and several times throughout the the movie, at least in the beginning portion of them learning to do the, the, the roping of the cows, Billy Crystal can't rope a cow. He just can't figure out how to use the lasso and rope the cow. And there's a funny little moment where he kind of, gallops up to a cow and he loops it over his head and then he gets <laughs> off the thing he's like look see i've got it and then curly kind of like bucks the cow and he takes him off it's so yeah, funny dragging him it, it, yeah i mean again there's so many just great little vignette scenes like that where it's just like what's the point in this why would anybody rope a cow watch you just like get off the horse walk over Put the rope over his head, voila! <laughs> we roped the cow, and he just like whistles at it, and it takes off at full speed, dragging him behind. Yeah, no, it is, it is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's so so funny. So now you know, Curly and Mitch have rejoined the rest of the the cattle drive, and you know they're the the city slickers are all hanging out, having dinner, having a conversation, and this is the moment. Well, right before this moment. Curly reveals to Mitch the meaning of life. And, you know, the meaning of life to to Curly, he says, is one thing. And that one thing is different for everybody. And you got to figure out what that one thing is. And so Mitch is sort of like taking that wisdom that was imparted on him and he's sharing it with the rest of the group. And he's saying, listen, you know, the guy's not that bad. You know, I, I gave him a hard time, but he really is kind of a great person. You should all come meet him. I'll go get him. And he's like sort of sitting on a bluff again. And he's just sort of staring out into the nothingness. And then Mitch goes over to him and he's calling to him. And we find out that Mitch, that we find out that Curly has died in this moment. Like essentially Curly has this whole dialogue where he says that we're a dying breed of these like ranchers and, you know, cowboys. And he sort of like imparted his last real piece of knowledge onto Mitch. And he talks about like how he never fell in love. He never got married. He never had any kids. He, he met one girl for a moment and loved her. And that was enough for him. 
and it, it it makes sense like he sort of rounds out his story by this relationship he builds with Mitch and kind of helps Mitch move forward in his life with this information and you know we find out that he's died and the next thing we see is the cook who's played by Bob the Joker's goon <laughs> and they they're like oh you want to say any words for you know for curly and they go he goes lord we'll give you curly try not to piss him off <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny and he had a couple of good one liners throughout the movie too he had a lot of good one liners where as bob the joker's goon i don't know if he has any lines actually. yeah right it's funny you know i had to like pause the movie at this point because um I think a I had forgotten that Curly died in the film outside of maybe you mentioning it in the in the review or in the uh, in the recall, um, but I was like, uh, did I miss something? Like, did, like, like, why is he dead? Like, and like, sure, like he's an older guy, you know, he might have just passed away. But I paused it because I was like, maybe I missed something. So I started looking up online. And I thought one kind of weird thing is like Wikipedia claims that in the plot of the movie that he's had a sudden heart attack and died. And it's funny because, like, I don't read it that way. Like, you know, he's just sort of, as you say, sort of sitting there peacefully on this rock looking out at, like, the sunset. It really feels more like he just, like, it was his time and that was it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know where the Wikipedia people got heart attack, but I kind of disagree with, yeah. it, it <laughs> with does, that assessment. It doesn't look like heart attack because he's literally just sitting still. and Like, with his eyes open. Yeah, it's not like he's, like, holding his chest or his arm or anything like that. And, and Billy even makes a joke. He goes, you know... He's so serious, he sleeps with his eyes open to keep a look at the cattle. And, you know, I don't know if, you know, maybe it was just his time. He passed on naturally or whatever. Who knows? But I don't I don't take it as heart attack. It doesn't feel like heart attack. Well, rip curly. (laughs) You'll be missed. (laughs) And but now we need to move on with the cattle drive. And all we're left with is the cook and the two you know, jerk cowboys that are sort of like the ranch hand guys. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're pros. Look at us where we got to go. And they start, you know, getting the cattle going and getting everybody moving. If they've buried Curly in the middle of nowhere. And the first thing we hear is Billy Crystal starts talking about death. And and I think it's um, Bruno Curly. Bruno Kirby goes. Who's got 25 minutes? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> 25 minutes and we're talking about death. <laughs> it's just so funny. The, the way these, because it's like, that's things friends would say to each other. Like, just kind of like ribbing each other. Like, oh God, here we go. We just came from a funeral. And he's already talking about death. <laughs> Great. And, um, but it, again, it goes on to feel, you know, I know it's meant to be a comedy, but it felt like, real people with real problems and real emotions. And, you know, we start talking more and more about our, our characters. We, we've moved on from Curly and we're not afraid of him anymore. And we're really focused in on these three friends and their journey together. And, you know, Phil's character kind of has a nervous breakdown and. Well, yeah, it's worth mentioning that like now that Curly's gone, the two extra stagehand guys that were uh, I'm not probably not using the word stage ranch hands that's that's theater ranch hands (laughs) Um, are you know 
back to their not so great ways. You know, Curly had put a scare into them, um, uh, and but now they're you know like they they've got like a gun, they're pointing it at Norman, and they're harassing you know all the people again, and like they're really drunk. Um, and so I'm sorry. So then you know that's where Phil kind of then becomes like ultra Phil kind of goes off the deep end finally. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're kind of like held up in some sort of like cavern at night, trying to go to sleep. And the two ranch hands are, you know, like you said, trying to threatening to kill Norman. And, you know, they have a big argument with them. And then we find out that the two ranch hands leave. They just leave them for dead. Like these, these city slickers are now left out there in the cold alone by themselves in the middle of with no, the cattle with the cattle. And uh, we have this kind of breakdown in in relationships where Ed's character, or I'm sorry, Bruno's character, Ed, says, I came out here to do this. I'm going to drive this cattle. I need to do this for myself. And, and you see this real significant change in his character. And like, well, they all have to break up, too, because like Bob the Goon. Oh, he died too. His leg oh, yeah. Oh, so yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, or, or or something happens with his leg where he can't walk. You're right. So so it's decided that like the the two dentists are going to take him to like a nearby town on like a yeah so car. That's and a, then, that actually um, was before this. So we've buried Curly. I'm I'm way off track, and I'm I watched this about a week and a half ago. So now I'm regurgitating everything. So we've buried Curly. We're off, and now the cook gets drunk on the stagecoach. And like runs it amok and drives it off a cliff, killing the two horses pulling the thing and breaking yeah. both of his legs. And now they have to settle up camp. But what they realize is they need to get the cook to a hospital because his legs are broken. And we lose the first of our city slickers, the 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 dentists, and they take them to a they say, Oh, there's a town like 30 miles that way. Like, who on, there's no GPS. There's no cell. How would these two random guys find this? No idea. But they <laughs> but they send them off into the great beyond and say, "Good luck, Godspeed. You'll get there if you get there." And now we get to the point where the ranch hands are getting drunk and they're causing all this ruckus. And Phil has like a mental break, pulls out a gun, and he's like threatening to shoot the ranch hands. And then they leave them for dead. Now we've got knockoff Ben and Jerry, the three best friends, and Helen Slater's character left out with the, the cattle. And we get into this fight between Mitch and Ed and Phil. Like Mitch is like, we can't, you know, what are we going to do? But But Ed is like, I have to drive this cattle. I have to do this. And Phil wants to do it as well because he's like, I got... I got nothing else to lose. I got nothing to live for. This is it. And so Mitch decides that he's going to take, um, knock off Ben and Jerry and Helen Slater and go again to this town somewhere 30 miles away and leave his friends. And we cut to Ed and Phil are trying to keep the cattle moving and having a really hard time. They're getting astray. And over the ravine, we see Mitchie the Kid coming out with Curly's <laughs> hat, and he's helping them drive. He's like, I, you know, he's like, Curly said there's nothing like bringing in a herd. And so they like, now the three friends start going off and, and taking the cattle. 
and driving them to where they got to go. And they're having this conversation about life. And they, they sort of tell Phil, like, listen, yeah, we know you lost your wife, you lost your job, you know, your life is a mess. But essentially, now you've got a do over. You can start fresh, you can become something else, you can do something else. Your life is a do over. And it was a really interesting sort of conversation. It made a lot of sense and it really felt genuine and, and heartfelt. And, and it was nice. It was nice to listen to that, that thing. And then we kind of go from this serious life conversation to a conversation about how to program a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because it's, it's, it's very relatable to today. Like, trying to explain to your parents how to set up the Wi-Fi in their house or like how to, you know, do a FaceTime or something like that. Yeah. And it just felt really natural and fun. And, you know, Bruno Kirby's like, it's been four hours. He's never going to get it. Let it go. Move on. And it's just so funny because it makes me laugh every time I see that scene. It's really, really good. <laughs> and, now we get caught into a big storm and we have to get the cattle across this river and they realize they may have gone too far. So they're at a much steeper part of the river. And this is where things get really interesting because they're getting the cattle across and they get all of them across. And this is where the part of the movie where I start to assume these three guys definitely lost some cows along the way. And they just said, well... <laughs> <laughs> the cattle seems a little bit smaller than what it did before. It's opinion. a strong possibility. <laughs> There's no way they went from 12 people on this cattle drive to three guys and they got every, every cow to where they needed to go. No way, but okay. Suspend your disbelief. They get across the river and we hear Norman in the river. And this is where Billy becomes full-blown Mitchie the Kid. And he's riding that horse like he's been riding it his whole life. Not a week, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> and and he finally has this moment of realization where he ropes the cow and he gets pulled into the river and he's trying to save Norman and the friends come and they go after him too. And there's a whole, it's a really amazing scene. It's a really cool sequence. What's your thoughts on this whole, this whole river scene? It's really well done, um, exceptionally well done. And, you know, this is like the final kind of nail on the head moment for him where he sort of realizes that, like, everything goes out of his head. He's not wisecracking. He's not worried about his job. He's not he's not doing that. He's just like he's in that moment. Norman means a lot to him, you know, and he's just like, you know, he just didn't think he just did. Yeah. And it becomes his one thing, you know, and it's like it, it was it was really well done. Um, I I really can't say anything but good things about it. Yeah, no, they did a really great job filming the whole thing. It, it felt very tense. You were really on the edge of your seat. And, you know, for somebody who's seen a million movies where a million people are in a raging river about to head over a waterfall. It was another one, but but it but it had all the feels, you know. You definitely, uh, especially with little Norman there, wanted to see him save Norman. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really you know it's a really nice scene, and you know the the friends once they get him out of the river, they they kind of like embrace and they, you know they 
they're like, we almost lost you there, buddy. Like, we, you know, you almost, you almost died. Like, we couldn't lose you. And, and you see their genuine friendship in this moment. And it's really, really beautiful. I do question why he didn't think to carry the baby cow across the raging river. Yeah. <laughs> Not the best parenting there, Mitchie the kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so now we're, we're, we've gotten through the river, we got through this big storm, and now we're, they've somehow found their way to Colorado. They have no map, no, <laughs> no guide master. Nobody knows how long it took them. It could have taken them weeks for all we know. Nobody has any because I don't know how many miles it is from New Mexico to to Colorado, but it seems like it was a long journey. I mean, the two states border, but you're in the Rocky Mountains there, so it's got to be an interesting trip. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's definitely got to be a long ways. And so, you know, we get there, right? And actually, they have this great scene, too, where they come over the hill and they like are looking down into like the ravine, the Colorado mountains, things not really there. <laughs> Wait, what? Yep. It's it's shots of the ranch. And then the whole top end of the shot is all matte painting. No. Yes. Yeah. You're, they, you're they ruining the magic. I know he could not get it to look like how he wanted it to look at like. So they, they combine some footage of an actual ranch in Colorado with matte paintings to get that. Very pristine, beautiful, mountainy look. <laughs> wow. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Sad, but cool. So we've had a couple movies, though, in, in our run already that have fairly extensively used map paintings. You know, all the way back to Total Recall was using that quite a bit. Yeah. So it's it's fun that that's still fairly well used at this point, rather than any sort of CG backgrounds or things like that. Yeah. I mean, it probably was a lot cheaper to do a map painting than a CG background back then. <laughs> but um. So they, we bring in the herd and, you know, we get there and, you know, Mitch has got like a full beard now. They're all kind of like real cowboys at this point. And this is what bothered me, right? All of the other city settlers have already made it to this this ranch. Like, first of all, they found the town. <laughs> they got a ride from wherever the town is to whatever this ranch is. I mean, presumably is. that's it in a nutshell. Presumably they got a car ride there. And therefore that's why they're there quicker. (laughs) But it's just like, it was a real head scratcher for me. And, (laughs) and then the other thing that I had was, so the owners of the ranch are, uh, clay and cookie stone. I think their name is some of that. They're at the, at the Colorado ranch. Like why wouldn't they have been on the cattle drive as well? (laughs) My assumption is age. My assumption is because they're like an old couple, therefore they hire these other people to but, to run the cattle for them, and they just run the ranches on. But they got the time. oldest cowboy in America to to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, fair. <laughs> I don't know. It just it was a little okay. So you know, we find out now that they this is the last of the cattle drives. They're not going to drive it back to uh, New Mexico anymore. They're going to sell all the cows to a to like a, you know, meat processing plant. And you see all of the the city slickers all heartbroken by this, like they really formed a connection with these cows that they can't believe they're going to be sent to slaughter. And it's really kind of a sad moment. I have to say, like, Clay is like. 
I don't know. <laughs> He's bad with exposition at wrong time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like what sort of weirdo is like, it's like, oh, because they're all celebrating. They're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. You did it. You crossed the river. You got here. You brought them in all by yourselves. Just the three of you. Oh, we're going to kill them, by the way. <laughs> like, like who would who would bring that up at that point? Like, even if that's what you're planning on doing, like, why are you going to say that to them right then and there? Man, yeah, took the the wind right out of their sails. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's brutal. And then the next scene we see is you know, Mitch and Phil and Ed are kind of like sitting outside of the the ranch and they're looking at the cattle. And they're having a conversation about it. And the one thing that was really jarring for me was so Billy started the movie with no beard, clean shaven, with his you know crazy curly hair that he has. As the movie progresses, he grows out a beard because he's out in the Old West. And now we're, we're cut to he's at the, the ranch. He shaved the beard. And it's such an abrupt change, even <laughs> though it makes sense for the character. I'm like, you just became the cowboy. Why would you just not keep the beard? It didn't. It just felt wrong. And it kind of annoyed me a little bit. I was like, it looks so weird without the beard. It's a really interesting observation, because to be honest with you, I don't think I even noticed. Um, but the funny part of that is that it's almost like him surrendering like, all right, this is over. I got to go back to how things were now in like a kind of unique visual way. It's a good point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, so he goes over to Norman and he's, you know, we assume that he's going to let Norman go, but we, we think that he's not going to let Norman be sent to the slaughter. And, you know, we get back home to New York He's greeted by his family. Uh, Phil kind of has this sort of nice. I realize that I have a do over now and he gets in a cab with Helen Slater. Um, Bruno Kirby's character, Ed, he gets picked up in this like top down Jeep by his his wife. <laughs> and he's like that young, that young girl that, that he had on the plane or whatever. Yes. Right? Yeah, he, the funny part, actually, I have to say about Phil um, with Helen Slater's characters, they reference that in the second movie. And it's like it's like it must have been another one where like they just had no way to like write her in or mm-hmm. bring her back or something like that. And it's just like, oh, yeah, like that, like didn't work out. I was fresh off my marriage and whatever. And it's just like, man, that's a shame. <laughs> it's like, in a way, it's probably realistic because, you know, how many movies end like this where it's like the guy like that met the girl and the thing like right off into the sunset. And it's like, yeah, in real life, probably like they'd start to try and get to know each other and realize that there's not like necessarily common ground except for this shared experience or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it but it was funny that that basically it's like, whoop, there's another one written out of the sequel. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Ed says that he's going to try to go home and get his wife pregnant and so on and so forth. And what's funny is like they each kind of have their their conclusion. Like, you know, Phil kind of has this like, okay, I, I have a do over. Ed realizes what is important to him in his life is his, his new his his young wife or his new wife, I should say, um, and wants to have a family with her and so on and so forth. And even, you know, Mitch comes back and he found his smile and he he, he knows it's important to him. And, and we sort of get to a logical conclusion for all of our characters where for me, like I felt like there didn't need to be a sequel because of this moment. And and we see 
Norman has come home with him. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, first they'll live in the living room. Then they'll live, <laughs> live on a couch or whatever. Um, what I tried to- That might have been why they had to go to New Rochelle, because there's definitely no cows allowed yeah, in, I w- in New York. I would, I would assume not. But, like, I, I just felt like there was not much more story to tell. And then we get a sequel, which, as the aforementioned Bruno Kirby's not in it, and we get replaced with John Lovitz as Mitch's younger brother. And let I'm gonna let you talk about this. I want to hear your thoughts about this movie. Yeah. So, so I ended up watching the sequel as I promised last episode. Um, and by and large, no, it's not as good as City Slickers. That said, I don't think I found myself that disappointed by it overall. Like it was like a fun, good treasure chase movie. Um, I had questions at the end. I mean, like John Lovitz is such like an up or down person for me. There's some roles where like, I love him as a character, you know, like wedding singer comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Like I constantly quote to Angie, like he's losing his mind (laughs) and I'm reaping all the benefits, you know, like just great stuff like that. But like, you know, most of the time I'm not a big John Lovitz fan. Me neither. And in this movie, I am also not really a John Lovitz fan. I kind of wish that they had basically anybody else that said he played the role that he's supposed to be playing as about as good as it's going to get. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just am not a big fan of him overall. Um, I did miss Bruno Kirby's character and what he brought to that character, but I also don't know that I could 100% see him being in this, but I also don't remember how they sort of like mentioned, like, I guess they just don't even bring him up. Like they no. kind of really don't like mention him at all, which He's is not like, said at all. Yeah. It's really a disservice to the first film in that respect, because, you know, like, those guys are like the three caballeros, you know, like they're inseparable, you know, like on all these adventures and all of a sudden he's just missing in action and they don't. And all of the adventure, all of the adventures are facilitated by Ed. Like he's the, the yeah. ringleader of it. And now it's not. Um, And, you know, they basically get this like. We found a lotto ticket sort of story, you know, sort of treasure chest sort of thing, wherein. Um, Mitch, um, on his, I guess, birthday again, it's his birthday again. They have the same scene again with his mom calling his wife, um, is, you know, getting dressed in some sexy, you know, outfit and he's trying a few things, you know, like has a couple of funny, like lines about like, it works for me, you know, like, you know, with like, (laughs) with like pretend I'm like the neighbor or something like that, which like raises questions about Mitch, but um, you know, he puts on Curly's hat and he's like, he's like going to pretend like he's like, like a cowboy or whatever. And like, bizarrely, like the hat, like causes pain. Ow, you know, on the top of his head and he takes the hat off and finds Curly's hidden treasure map, which we come to find out if you hide something in your hat as a cowboy, it's like a real thing and a really important thing. And um, his brother's in town and like these kind of, quasi estranged from his brother and his twin uh, brother twin is it his twin did they mention that i forgess i forgot that and yeah it's his twin brother and what they did was uh, this is a fun fact about this they put some sort of like prosthetic on his nose to make his nose look slightly different than really? curly's nose oh i'm sorry uh, curly's twin well i was i thought you were talking um 
Oh no, uh, Mitch and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, yes. So I'm sorry. So we do eventually. Mitch is having. This is a year later. Now he is 40, and he's having a lot of nightmares, and he's he's really concerned about the death of Curly, um, and he starts feeling like he's seeing Curly, and it turns out he's actually seeing his twin brother Duke. Yeah, Duke. Yes. Um, which is kind of creepy, you know, like they sort of like explain it off that he's like, I didn't know what type of man you were. So I wanted to like, you know, check on you first. And if you turned out to be the wrong kind of person, I was just going to steal the map sort of thing. But this is like, this is where it goes from here. Cause the movie goes on to like a big treasure hunt. They, they have this map. They're going to go out. They, they realize that this, like they go to like the New York library and they find out that this gang stole all this money and it was never recovered. And this is the map and it, it all fits and everything. And they run into Duke out on the trail, you know, especially they run into him when the, again, it's like, it's like mirror of the first movie that these like two guys that like sort of set them up with all their equipment. And they, you know, of course, like Phil, like an idiot is blabbing to them about the gold and the mm-hmm. map, track them down and they're going to like rob them or kill them and take the map and all this sort of thing. And so then Duke shows up and saves the day. And, like, on the plus side, Jack Palance has way much more to do in this film than he did in the first one. That said, I mean, Curly in the first one is amazing, has, like, every line that comes out of his mouth is gold, um, and he's very stoic, and he's such, like a, like, a force in this one. In this one, he has, like, so much more room to, like, really play up his scenes and, like, you know, talk a lot more mm-hmm. and do a lot more. So in that way, it's, like, a positive. But on the flip side, his character and his motivations don't really make sense because he sort of keeps talking about that he's going to steal the map from them and all this sort of thing. But then in the end of the film, you find out that he has like this other like piece corner of the map that was missing that shows where they moved the gold to at some point. And, you know, he sort of like basically says like at the end of the movie that he knew where the gold was all along. And so it kind of is confusing because like, it's like, well, why did he go along with them and need to go and and, and like, why was he confused when they got to the spot? Like if he had this piece of map that said like they moved it, like he wouldn't have been upset and confused when it turns out spoilers at the end of the movie that the whole thing was like a fake treasure hunt based on like a photocopy of that original map that like Duke, like or, or sorry, Curly yeah. had the map from his father or great grandfather or something like that and never found the gold. So they decided to turn it into like another adventure that they could sell city slickers on and surprise there's, you know, Iron and <laughs> him again, you know, like on this fake treasure hunt, you know, just doing this sort of thing again at the end of the movie. But, you know, they have an adventure and the, and the story of this one is more, to do with um, Mitch, and you know, brother coming to better terms with his brother. Um, but it's missing overall a lot of the heart and a lot of the really true good character turns that the first movie had. Mm-hmm. So I see why people didn't like it as much. I see why critics, you know, were, were more in the zone of panning it. In a way, it's kind of a, a cash grab at, you know, using these characters again and, and trying to quasi recycle quite a lot of plot elements sometimes like verbatim from the first film. Um, So I see why it didn't do as well. And I think it only ended up making something like 40 million all told or something like that in the box office. So it didn't really parallel even in financial success to the first one. 
Um, but that said, I found it enjoyable. It was a fun treasure hunt flick, you know, like a la National Treasure or something like that. You know, always sort of fun to find that. And I think it is interesting that they have this kind of twist ending where it's like, oh, my God, they actually did find it. But then, of course, it turns out to be like this treasure hunt sort of thing. And then, like, the movie ends on Mitch is back at like a hotel room and, and Duke shows up and shows him the map piece. And he's like. I know where it is. And like Mitch yells like Yahoo or something like that. And like the movie ends, you know, but you know, so like, you know, he's going to go find this, this million, but it kind of undoes a little bit of the Mitch that we have, like you said, at the end of the first film, because, you know, they all sort of ended up at the end of the first film in a better place. They were happier in their lives. You know, they were more content with what they had. And in, in the beginning of the sequel, we find out that, Mitch is running the station. Yeah, he's, he's no longer in this like you know guy. Yeah. kind of sales job that he's not happy with. Now he's running the whole thing. So this concept of like he's gonna go get like you know I think it was like forty million in gold. Yeah, like sure anybody would want to do that, and you know why not? But like I have a harder time buying why that's a necessary thing in his life. It's more like he's lying to his wife. He's supposed to be in Vegas on like a convention. He's lying to his wife that they go off and and do this treasure hunt. Instead, the brother comes along because he happened to be there, which the funny Um, thing about that, in particular with the lying to the wife, like the first movie, their relationship is all about the two of them being honest with each other and her helping him. And, for him to lie to her like that in the second movie seems very out of character for Mitch from the first movie. And they even sort of mention, like in that final scene in the hotel in the end that like he's waiting for his wife to show up because he called her and told her the truth. And now she's flying to Vegas to essentially like have it out with him over it, mm-hmm. you know, which then gets thrown out the window by this revelation that they're going to go get the gold anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, and especially too, because, you know, another interesting point, And I guess this is another thing I would say is that Duke has a piece of the gold. So I guess what that means is that when he left them, he went and found the the gold. And now he's just going to bring Mitch back. And so like, and that's, I guess like the payoff for Duke is that his one thing is that he realizes that he feels more important about being honest and having integrity. Mm -hmm. That becomes his one thing. Cause you know, like, uh, um, they have a conversation about it. Oh, Curly, Curly told you about the one thing, huh? Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't sort of take it seriously. And like all throughout, he keeps kind of planning to like backstab them and and you know go off and find the gold on his own, you know. But um, I don't know. It just it just it sets itself up to have more plot holes, which I think makes it in a way less enjoyable, you know, like than the more simple sort of concept of the cattle drive in the first film and things like that. And you know, I also feel yeah. like the introduction of duke in particular is played by the same actor that plays curly cheapens the significance of curly like this was a comedy movie that the actor won a best supporting actor role oscar and now you're sort of cheapening it by making him his twin and you know it's like i mean it's a funny choice especially because they're going down the route that like it really is bothering mitch the funny part is like I don't know. I mean, like until he starts like actually seeing him and thinking he's not, I don't know why he'd be like a year later having nightmares about him and and all this sort of thing that seems like a weak 
shove into the film for us to be because like i think the film starts with him like out on the range yes. and like you know like curly like comes out of the grave visiting visiting curly's grave and then that's right yeah. yeah um and they you know like you said they redo the animated intro and you know like there's definitely things that are just kind of like you know mirrored there again so overall first film very good very enjoyable a lot of great lines Second film for me, less enjoyable, but still fun, mm. still worth a watch. Still better yeah, than so, what about Bob? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good bar. <laughs> um, Sorry, you know, Angie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was fun watching the two of them again. You know, like I said, I think I'd seen them way back, or maybe I only ever saw the first one, or. I had recollections of seeing some portions of the second. So I must have seen them both at some point. It's just totally floated out of my uh, brain damaged head, I guess. <laughs> um, where do you land? I love the first one. I really love that movie. Um, it's not one of my like top 10, but it's way up there in movies that you know I still reference all the time. And it really connected with me a lot now watching it again from when I watched it when I was nine years old, the second one, you know, if it's on, if I would let's say it was on TBS, eh, I might keep it on to watch it. But again, for me, honestly, John Lovitz just takes me out of the movie. Cause I just don't like him <laughs> in the movie. He's not enjoyable. And so it, it hurts the film for me, in my opinion. So we had a, uh, one of our listeners, um, a, a friend of mine from college, Marcos, uh, uh, mentioned to me off on Twitter, and I thought it was actually a really good idea that another kind of fun thought for as we're sort of dissecting movies would be to think about um, if, if, you know, now that we're 30 years down the road, if we wanted to like sequelize these again or like reboot them specifically, you know, like if you wanted to like do like a City Slickers nowadays um don't like don't tell adam because we're going to be stealing the sequel quest idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's why i said to marcos you know i said you know he's like why aren't you doing something like this and i sort of said you know well there's sequel quests so i said i kind of didn't want to wade too far into that territory but i realized there's nothing stopping us from talking about reboots specifically mm-hmm. <laughs> so if we wanted to like reboot this series now you know what i mean like like what's like something that you might do with it now like 30 years later i mean like i feel like for me personally like there's no reason that Billy Crystal couldn't come back and like do one of these now, especially now that he's like a little bit closer to like the curly age, you know, and like maybe, you know, like where is he all these years later? Like did the bug get in him after he had these two Western adventures to like finally move out there and like buy a ranch of his own and raise cattle, you know, I almost have to see something. That's kind of a fun idea. Yeah. I mean, and you know, in part I'm kind of like um, inspired by this too, that like another fun fact from the first movie is that Daniel Stern so loved the life of what they were doing in that, that he became a ranch hand. He bought a ranch and had like, and still does like, you know, hundreds of cattle and things like that. Wow. Um, And it, it just kind of made me think that like, you know, it might be sort of fun to see a reboot of the series now and you know maybe something to do with millennials and cell phones or his grandson now the new yeah exactly city slicker that's like you know got his face buried in the phone and like now billy crystal's gonna be the one taking him on like the hard adventure you know through um you know the the west or something like that so i know i sprung this on you but like 
what, what, what might be something that you'd maybe like to see in, in a vein of like a reboot of something like to do with a city slicker sort of concept? I, I, I love that idea of just like, you know, Billy Crystal's now in his 70s and he maybe brings his grandchildren and their friends out on a cattle drive and he kind of tells the story of Curly and this adventure. And you got, you know, trying to, you know, the, the trope of them holding their cell phone to the sky to get a signal. And I forgot it. to mention, too, part of the reason I was thinking of this was that he would have the gold from the second and therefore he'd have all the money to like buy a ranch and like retire early too. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I meant to throw that in there. It's <laughs> a good point. Yes. He, you know, <laughs> he, he uses the gold to invest in a ranch and you know, whatever. Um, it takes I, Norman out there. <laughs> what, what I'd like to see is how you could kind of flip it on its head and not make it be the same exact story of moving cattle. Like I'd have to really, you know, do my research into what, cowboys and ranchers do out in in the west and and get an understanding of what would be their job now like how do you stay relevant how do you you know stay in business in a world that's changing and there's just so much industry and so like how do you stay competitive and you know you got to throw in somebody in his family's got to be a vegan or whatever or, you know <laughs> something like that um things like that but I would like to see it sort of like reimagined and, you know, maybe like you see the old West is kind of deteriorating and becoming smaller. People are becoming, you know, they're building hotels and whatever. And it's not as this open plain as it was in some places, you know? Definitely. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us for City Slickers. Um, as usual, please let us know what you thought about the movie or our review of it over on our social media channels. You can reach us at box office three zero on Facebook and Twitter and box office T H I R T Y on Instagram. And thank you so much as usual. Also to the retro network. Um, We would not be here without their um, kind support after our first full year of box office 30. Crazy. (laughs) Again, thank you to all the listeners for listening to us all this time. It's it's made it well worth it to keep going. And we have um, plenty more fun stuff coming up um, in the coming months. And uh, as you know, we've been doing since the last episode, we're thinking of, um, again, throwing out a poll um, to our listeners to see if you'd like to um, possibly pick a different film than we have in mind for our July movie. So For July, um, the number one movie is going to be Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which I think is going to be hard to beat. Um, But we also have um, coming in at number two and three Hot Shots and 101 Dalmatians, the 1991 re-release. I thought we'd maybe also throw number four and five onto the uh, possibilities here this month. And I usually don't want to stray this too far down. I'm afraid of diluting the votes too much, but you just can't miss these. Uh, number four is going to be Boys in the Hood, Ooh. and number five is going to be Point Break. Ooh. So we've got some really excellent movies coming up in July 1991 that we're going to talk about in our Box Office 30 segment. But please look out. Um, I'm going to post our new poll the same day I post this podcast. Um, so we'd love to get your votes and uh, see which movie that you, the listeners, would like to hear us talk about. This is, this is tough. Like ter- Terminator, <laughs> Hot Shots. And Point Break. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm in it for Terminator 2. Um, I don't know. I thought this was just such a huge, huge, amazing movie when I saw it the first time around. And it would be hard not to talk about it now in such positive light. 
Hot Shots, if we skip it, you know, in July, I think that's our movie for August. So um, people have two chances to vote for, for Hot Shots, seemingly, and, and maybe even some of the uh, the other films I just mentioned, too. Um, so, I don't know, let me look. <laughs> now I'm curious. August. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, so August, uh, yeah, we have Hot Shots, Terminator, and Doc Hollywood are going to be the top three that are showing up at that point. So folks will have a chance to vote for Hot Shots in August, if not in, in July. So, <laughs> so technically, if Point Break wins in July, Terminator and Hot Shots could be up for August. <laughs> That's true. That's a possibility, too. Yes. <laughs> Very interesting. So we'll see. We're going to let you listeners um, vote again, and uh, we're going to try not to too heavily influence the outcome. But um, speak for yourself. Vote. The more, the more, yeah, the more votes we get, the uh, the better um, we have here. And hopefully, Michael's not uh, sending bribes under the table or, or tons of DMs around <laughs> telling people which to to vote for. I'll uh, slide into my DMs and we'll see what we can work out here, yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, friends. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network. <laughs>